In Atlanta, one voice has stood out for over four decades. An AJC original, The Monica Pearson Show. Let's talk about how you got to ESPN. Revealing interviews. You are known as America's doctor, but I want to know who you were before that. When you have a different name, you have different color skin, it can be tough. With Atlanta's most famous faces as you've never seen them before. I'm telling my story. This is the American dream. The Monica Pearson Show, streaming now on AJC.com. This is D. Orlando Ledbetter of the Atlanta Journal-Constitution here with the 249th episode of the Bowtie Chronicles podcast. Everything you need to know about the Atlanta Falcons. We're going to title this episode, Falcons Must Face the Salary Cap Issues. We're going to hear from owner Arthur Blank and Hall of Fame wide receiver... Calvin Johnston. Couple other issues we'll discuss: the roster evaluation, salary cap cutdown, Brady and the Bucks. We'll look ahead to our calendar here with the draft, April 29th through May the 1st. Have a thought on Vic Beasley's tenure in Atlanta, the new league year start, scouting combine, which won't be here. And then pro days. But let's get right to the salary cap. That's a big issue right now as the Falcons will have to cut 33 to 36 million as it stands. Maybe not as much if they agree to a higher cap, but owner Arthur Blanks discussed that with us recently. Yeah. Arthur, has the front office briefed you on the uh, salary cap situation. The uh, websites have you all uh, 33 to 36 million over, uh, and, and then they said it's the baseline. Demar said the baseline of 175 make it higher. Yeah, I, I think I'll give you my own views on this. I, I think uh, we all understand, you know, where we are because it's, you know, it's, it's information that's, you know, that's public. Um, I, I won't go as so far as Rich sometimes to say, you know, we'll find a way to work around it. And, you know, yeah, I mean, I, and, and Rich is, you know, he's he's done it, been there, gotten a T-shirt. So I, I respect, you know, I respect what he says. Uh, but um, you know, I think we'll probably have some difficult decisions to make this year. On the other hand, uh, I this is just my personal opinion. I have no no evidence of this, but my personal opinion is that the cap will not be at 175 this year. I think it will be some number higher than that. And I think uh, the league probably with the NFLPA will take the position that let's, you know, take the damage of last year, uh, you know, the pain that we all incurred last year and spread it over some period of time. I don't think they'll make it a one-year hit. Um, I think that would be, you know, too difficult. And I think really it's not in the best interest of not only uh, the league and clubs but our fans. Because you'd have, you'd have clubs that would have to be making some very difficult decisions on some very good players that uh, ordinarily wouldn't, they wouldn't be doing. And I think it's really not what fans want to see. I mean, fans want to see their, you know, some, you know, some continuity with, with their, with their most successful players. So I think there'll, there'll be something worked out. Uh, not to say it's going to be easy, but I think it'll be workable. There it is. Arthur Blank thinks the salary cap situation is workable moving forward. Uh, let me try to wrap it up here and explain to explain what he was saying. Uh, 
you know, the uh, pandemic, they lost a lot of money. They, uh, projections are off for their adjusted gross um, pot that they come up with or they use for the salary cap. So instead of losing, so say they all lost $40 million this year. Uh, instead of putting that all on this year's cap and taking it down from 210 to 175, uh, that's 35 from 215, so that's 40. Spread that $40 million loss over the 10 years of the collective bargaining agreement and lessen that blow. And maybe the cap only goes down four or five million of, uh, this year or 10 at the max. So you take some of it uh, early on and, and spread it out. That way you don't have teams like the Falcons and the Saints all the way upside down, almost 40 million underneath the cap when they could not have planned for a pandemic so if that's how they're going to negotiate here they got time it's uh, february the 10th the, the new league year starts march the 17th so um you know we'll have to see how that moves forward with the salary cap we also heard from arthur blank with regards to uh how he feels um, the team is positioned after the hiring of Terry Fontenot as general manager and Arthur Smith as head football coach. Then we tried to get him to tell us who they were picking with the fourth pick. He didn't bite, but hey, got to shoot your shot. So let's go to Arthur Blank here on, on those two matters. Well, in my opinion, for 
the league, for the medical staff, mostly I think for the players, the coaches, and the staff that were able to play 256 games and, you know, get to the playoffs and play them on time and, and, and have a Super Bowl um, and a schedule. So I think all of that is, is tremendous. But, you know, eventually we've got to get fans back in the building. So we all understand that. Mm-hmm. How, how important will it be to um, ignite the fan base with that fourth pick and maybe take a Justin Fields at the quarterback position? I know Terry said he's going to take the best player available. I would say the Saints have that, that history. You know, it's interesting. He told me in the interview process of his experience with Ossie Newsom, who you know, we all know and is you know, one of the more highly regarded general managers in the history of the league. I, you know, Ossie has always had the position, he's taken the position uh, philosophically of drafting the best player regardless of need. And uh, I would say we always have not always, you know, always done that. Sometimes we've looked at need and... Uh, and move to his name first, but uh, in any event, that's kind of a lot of his orientation. And the Saints have done that over the years, I think, too. And so, you know, it hurts me a little bit to say he's coming from a great organization, but he is, the Saints, and, you know, they've obviously um, built a, uh, a winning franchise, and he's been there for, for, for 18 years. He's worked with one of the most respected general managers in the league, Mickey Loomis, and uh, He's worked very closely with a uh, uh, highly, you know, highly regarded head coach, uh, Sean Payton, who's not always the easiest person to work with, but his standards for excellence are extraordinarily high. So he's got a really good background, both on the pro side and since 2015 on the on the college side. So I, you know, I, I like his thinking. I like his thinking not only short term, you know, because it's important not only to put a winning team on the field next year, but to have a plan to have a sustainable winning team. You've all heard me say that many times over over the years. There he is, Falcons owner Arthur Blank, throwing some shade at the Saints. I was just hearing him as a uh, Home Depot uh, founder, stealing away the top manager from Lowe's. And uh, he didn't like it, but he had to do it. He stole away the general manager from the Saints. And uh, threw some shade at Sean Payton in the process there. Uh, so that was, uh, that was interesting there in that part. He feels they're well positioned now to move forward. And uh, dodged my question on the fourth round pick. So, But he said that uh, best player available was General Manager Terry Fontenot's um, upbringing with the Saints and, uh, you know, through his teachings with Ozzie Newsom, so that's what we should expect. At number four, it might not be the sexy pick, but it's going to be the best player. Also, there was an admission in there that they did not draft for the best player. They were some needs first drafting going on. We've been saying that for years. Now the owner has confirmed it. And you just look at it over the history, and you can see that, um, you know, they pick guy. They weren't picking the best player on the board. They were picking, uh, you know, um, people based on holes on the roster as opposed to uh, getting the best player in the draft. We're going to go right to Calvin Johnson from Sandy Creek High, went into the Pro Football, will go into the Pro Football Hall of Fame in August. Uh, He was selected in this last class of um, enshrinees and uh, will be going into the Hall of Fame 
Sandy Creek High and Georgia Tech. Here's Calvin Johnson. From growing up here uh, in Atlanta, playing at Georgia Tech, and some of the people who were instrumental in this journey and helping you uh, get to Canton. Yeah, I started high school. Um, Coach Rodney Walker, man, um, he was the first person that you know, kind of, you know, was saying that you know, I believe in you. I can see you doing this and that, you know, and that kind of. You know, obviously you hear from your parents all the time, but when you hear those same words from somebody else, it kind of clicks in and it's like, okay. You know, and then it increases your belief in yourself to push forward. And the fact that, you know, not only that, they threw me in the fire um, there in high school um, as a sophomore. Um, and I kind of evolved and, and, and just kind of, you know, stood up to, I guess, the pressures that were on me at the time. And, you know, no matter how big or small they were, I guess they were big at the time being in high school. The same thing happened when I went to uh, Georgia Tech. You know, had Chan Gailey, he coached uh, where Dallas for, for a while, and a whole, a whole lot of the staff were, you know, had a, had a professional background. So to have those guys come and coach, you know, teach us what they did, and at the same time, throw me in the fire again when I got there. You know, I think that just, you know, for me, was the best way for me to learn. And, uh, I mean, it wasn't, it wasn't all, you know, you know, uh, you know, roses from the beginning. You know, it was a learning experience each time. And the same thing happened when I got to the NFL. You know, it just throw me in the fire, let me figure it out, um, and put great coaches around. I had a great one in Sean Jefferson when I got there. Kind of like Alan said about his coach, you know, he kind of pushed you to uh, places where you never thought that you could go, you know, pulling things out of you that, that you never thought they could get out of you. Um, and I think a lot of that came from the fact that, you know, he played for 13 years, so we everybody we believed in him, talking about um, Sean Jay there. So just having those kind of people push you, um, have high expectations for you, along with the high state expectations. I'm sure that you know Alan and, and, and anybody, everybody else in this class have for themselves uh, to go out there and perform on on, 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 uh, on on Sundays. Great response, Calvin. For our next question. All right, that was Calvin Johnson, Hall of Famer, going in to the Hall this summer in August. Now back to a couple matters here: roster evaluation. You heard um, Arthur Blank mention that. Uh, all that is is film review from last year, 4-12 and 12 team. Not going to be too many passing grades there. Uh, but we'll get into the roster eval this week with our stay or go feature. We'll look at the returning players under contract and the free agents. Uh, just to tip you off a little bit, the kicker is one of the free agents. I want, got to get him back. The safeties, I don't know what to do there. Two or potential free agents. That you want to keep, I believe, uh, but up front's an issue because you got Dean Pease coming in at a 3-4 and you don't have 3-4 defensive ends. You may have one linebacker, but you're going to need a couple more. Brady and the Bucks won Super Bowl 55-31-9. to uh, Big Chuck Smith called me on Monday to talk about, hey, how they pass rushed him. They um, got after those tackles. They moved Vita Vea outside, and he was just running right through the tackles. And then they rested Shaq Barrett in the third. Uh, they just mixed it up. It was a great pass rush plan uh, for um, Tampa Bay, and they were able to, to you know, generate two sacks, eight quarterback hits, and two interceptions, and shut down the running game. And Patrick Mahomes made him run almost 500 yards. So... Brady and the Bucks. we're going to have to address can, what the Falcons have to do in division to catch Brady and the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. Circle your calendars. The draft is a bit of ways, 
April 9th through the 1st, scheduled to be in Cleveland. I don't know if we're going to be virtual again. Uh, the way they're rolling out the vaccines, we're going to have to do that at a faster pace to get us to a live draft. Beasley, it was noted to me that um, Vic Beasley, who ended up in uh, Tennessee last year, you know, was got two defensive line coaches fired here. Uh, and Brian Cox, and uh, well, Brian Young didn't get fired. He returned to his family for other needs. But the defensive line coaches uh, under Coach Quinn were just one of the other problems as they cycled through there. Uh, this group coming in with the uh, a lot of more pro experience should be an upgrade for the group. We also mentioned that the new league year is March the 17th. That, so we'll hear casualties here before then. Uh, we'll be hearing about that before March the 17th because they got to be down and under the salary cap. Now, the scouting combine, which has been announced, is, won't, uh, is not taking place this year. The... Um, Scouting, by, scouting combine last year was February the 23rd through March the 2nd. So that would, would have been later this month. But now that's a hole in the calendar. And the uh, NFL is going to rely on pro days. And so the pro days uh, that I see out there don't start until March the 7th. And so, you know, folks will push those back as, as far as March and well into uh, April to have the workout. So we'll see how the colleges will be uh, big important, will be very important in the uh, ramp up to the draft and the pro days. We're not sure how those are going to go virtually, uh, socially distanced or, or online for uh, the scouts, but we'll be trying to get more information on that in the coming weeks. We get ready to wrap up here. From the 249th episode of the Bowtie Chronicles podcast, this one was titled, Falcons Must Face Their Salary Cap Issues, and we heard Arthur Blank discuss that. Yeah, they got some problems, buddy. Uh, hopefully they uh, push the cap up and it's not going down to 175. He's banking on that. So that's going to be his position to get that cap up and spread that hit over the CBA so they don't have to cut uh, some players here. Maybe a, uh, you know, maybe they'll have some room to design DeMonte Casey and Keanu Neal. But with that, we're going to get out of here. This is D. Orlando Ledbetter. The 249th episode of the Bowtie Chronicles podcast. Take care and have a great rest of the week. Hip-hop is a product of black people. It's a product of black song and celebration. The Atlanta Journal-Constitution presents Hip-hop's most pulled elements are pulled from the South. A Southern hip-hop store. We always go back to that moment of the Source Awards. Everybody wants your rhythm, but they don't want your blues. The biggest names in hip-hop. Atlanta is still the mecca for hip-hop. 50 years. No one can deny. One film. The power of the South now. The South got something to say. Streaming now at AJC.com slash hip-hop. The AJC's trusted veteran political voices, Greg Bluestein, Patricia Murphy, Tia Mitchell, and Bill Nygut are the essential source for Georgia politics. The Atlanta Journal-Constitution's Politically Georgia. Sign up for the newsletter, download the podcast, subscribe to the AJC.